Jen, have you ever done jury duty? I haven't, and I really want to. I haven't either. I, okay, so I did get, like, I did get a summons during COVID for, like, a virtual thing, Mm -hmm. and I thought, this is it. Like, I'm finally going to get to do it. And then there was a whole thing of, like, you had to, like, go pick up, I think, like, an iPad or something, like a. I don't know. It was it was a whole thing, but like I like scheduled whatever I had to schedule and then they were like, "Okay, if you're selected, like you'll have to come to the courthouse and like pick up this iPad or whatever." Um and then I did not get selected and I was so bummed because I have like always wanted to do jury duty and I've always been fascinated by like the court system. Yes. I well, it's something I can't say I've always wanted to do jury duty, but in recent years, yeah, have definitely been interested in and think like, yes, it's part of our civic duty. I'm ready to serve. And then my parents met a jury duty. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, that's a fun story. Yeah. My mom gets selected for jury duty a lot. She's a she's a very good juror. Wait, um, how does she get selected a lot? And some of us don't get selected. I don't or know. Some she, of gets, us, she gets like, summoned all the even time. Even just summoned. Yeah. How does she just on like a summon cycle? I don't Interesting. Know. She gets summoned more than anyone I've ever heard of. But yeah, she she uh yeah, they meant a jury duty. So did they both like serve on the jury where they were both selected and had to work together for a while? Or it was like the summons and they just met and started talking and then that was it. Um, I think they both got summoned. I don't think they got selected. I don't think either of them got selected. I'll have to fact check that when I'm home. But but yeah, they like physically met at jury duty well i just deeply love this story yeah so you never know you never know show up maybe who needs dating apps yeah (laughs) go to jury duty yep yep well i just i'm gonna bask in that for a little bit but jury duty the show Mm -hmm. came into our lives well came into the world's lives in april is that when it premiered I feel uh, like I think so. 2023. Um, but I the thing that I really love about this show is I feel like when you and Kate decided to program it, we all felt that it was going to be this fun show that we told the world about. They were yeah. like, yes, this show is going to be special. No one's going to know about it. And we are going to tell the world that it exists. And that is not exactly what happened. That's not. But to be fair, we did start having this conversation very early we love the freebie team and they brought it to our attention i think in february of last year and uh yeah so kate and i got the screeners pretty early and within the first two episodes i was like the show is gonna be a massive hit or like one of the most underrated like genius moves of the last like few years it was just so i was so caught off guard by it and like Mm -hmm. that just doesn't happen a ton no um when we get sent things and so yeah i mean immediately we were like yes what do we have to do to get this here but yeah it was hilarious out of the gate and like i could not wait there are some things where you just like you program it and then you're just like itching until the festival gets here. You're just like, I just want people to like know about this thing. 
but yeah, luckily they didn't have to wait until the festival and it was already a hit by the time it got to us. So <laughs> I mean, it was one of our most requested pieces of programming. Yeah. Of people just everyone wanted to moderate it. Everyone wanted to go to it, um, which is really fun. Like, yes. it's really fun when there's like that much excitement around a thing. Well, and I think it also proves not for every show because there's so many special shows out there that no one finds, but that it is possible Mm-hmm. For people to find these small little shows that can, that there is such a big audience for them. And it just like the word of mouth can really make a difference. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the great things about Freebie is that they are, you know, still kind of able to take like riskier moves like this. Mm-hmm. And they are so widely available and it's free. So, yes, y- anyone can watch it. Um, and so I think that really like that kind of accessibility makes it a lot easier for people to find it when that word of mouth starts to spread for something like this, because as soon as people start talking about like, as soon as the memes start hitting Twitter and (laughs) like the screenshots and whatever, and people are like, what is this show? Um, then they can immediately go there. They don't have to sign up for anything and just like dive in. And I think that made it really easy for this to catch on very quickly. And I love that spoiler, if you haven't seen it, but not real spoiler that the last episode is basically kind of the behind the scenes of like the reveal of how they did this Mm -hmm. mainly through the eyes of Ronald figuring it all out. Yeah. And uh, I think it's definitely one of those shows where I can't get enough of the behind the scenes stories mm-hmm. of how they logistically did this, of how they found Ronald, of how they did the casting, of how they actually filmed it, of James Marsden getting into the character of James Marsden and what they weren't sure was going to work, but did work because Ronald did exactly what they needed him to do. So they didn't even have to have the other cast prompt him along. Mm-hmm. It's just fascinating. Yeah, I was just rewatching this the other day for or a few weeks ago for my uh, top 10 list. Mm -hmm. And one, I think it was super smart to make that sort of like behind the scenes footage, like it's its own episode at the end. Um, Because when those final seconds of the previous, like episode seven happened where the judge spoiler, spoilers for (laughs) jury duty. You haven't seen it. The final episode or final seconds of the penultimate episode when they tell Ronald, like, this is what's happening. And then it cuts like your stomach drops because (laughs) it is just like, oh, you don't know yet that Ronald is. I mean, you do know, but you don't know like how he's going to react to this. And it is just like one of the most tense moments of television the entire year because you're just like are they about to destroy this guy? Like, <laughs> are we about to watch a man fall apart in front of our eyes? Like, yep, this could yep. go so badly, so badly. And you want, you so desperately want him to be okay and for everything to turn out like, oh, haha, what a funny joke this was. But you just don't know. And like, I was just like so struck by the way, like even knowing now, like how it turns out, seeing him at the festival knowing he's perfectly fine he's having like the time of he's his having life. the time of his life yes but like still watching that back i just felt like my stomach drop and i was just like i cannot imagine being the producers of this show and like sitting in that moment it just is 
it it is just a bit of mad genius i think and it's i think it, it's a lot to the credit of the casting the producers and how they sort of constructed all of this and obviously like ronald and the cast that mm-hmm. like it all turned out fine you know oh, and yeah. like it it has been only up from there you know like he's he's got a deal now you know with amazon and so like, much um anyway yeah it's just it just was one of the the great surprises of 2023 i think well it's also the part that they talk about which i thought about as it was happening with james marsden when james marsden has his breakdown in the middle of it with involves a cake mm-hmm. and that james marsden was like very distraught after doing it of like Ronald's going to think so terribly of me mm-hmm. in that moment, even though he knows like there's going to be a reveal, he's going to know it was staged. There's going to come a time where he knows he's going to know this isn't me, but he was so distraught in that moment of like, are you just Ronald now thinks I'm a terrible person <laughs> and Ronald yeah. basically validating a, Oh yeah. I thought he was a terrible person in that moment. Yeah. It was, he was like, I had given him all of these concessions and all of these like, well, he's like a little off, but then he does something really nice. But in that moment was a, Oh, you have gone way beyond the line that you should be walking and like those moments where the cast kind of had to go all in knowing there's going to come a time where he's going to know that this isn't real but in these moments you just gotta like one hunger down and go for it the stakes feel so high for such like a low level like civil case like just the fact that like that that really was like such a pivotal moment in the story of like this cake being destroyed is like (laughs) they're just outside the courthouse at like a picnic table and like this is like the moment you know where it's like it could all go (laughs) to hell (laughs) it's like but that's that's the genius in the setup such an emotional roller coaster for something that outside of the context of the show is is such low stakes yes very much so um yeah do you think they can do it again I don't know. I've thought about this a lot. I feel like yes, because I feel like there's so many shows that you wouldn't think they could repeat, but they do. Yeah. Because because you find the right people for it. And so I think like just knowing that they were able to pull it off this like I I do think I do think they'll find a way to do it again, maybe, but I mean, it's definitely going to be tough just because it's, I don't know if they expected it to blow up in this way. And oh, like, I don't think anyone can fully expect any show was going to blow up this way. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. I would definitely watch a second season. Um, if only to see like, if they can stick the landing a second time. Yes. But, it would be um, really hard. Cause they have, I mean that talk about casting. Yeah. You got to find but the, the awareness now as yeah. like a pop culture, like, um, moment is, is kind of hard to escape. So yeah, especially now I don't know that I would sign up for anything like Ronald did in a way of like, yeah, I'm going to sign up for this jury duty and it's going to be a documentary and like, sure, I'll be part of this process. I don't know at this point that I would ever sign up for anything that they're like, and we're going to make a documentary about this. Yeah. I think I'm also too jaded having watched so much TV and been behind the scenes on a lot of this that anytime something weird happened, I'd be like, this is not real. This is yeah. not real. But I also know like we're immersed in the television industry. So like 
Oh we're God. always watching for that. I'm always like, am I on hidden camera? Yeah. If I'm like at the DMV, am I on hidden camera? Is something happening right now? I wonder how many people are just going to go to like regular jury duty and think that like secretly <laughs> they're going to end up on TV. And it's like, no, you're just something weird is going to happen. They're going to be like, this is all a hoax. This is yep. not real. You're yeah. like, no, there's just weird people out there. Um, um, well, I think the other surprise on this is the Emmy nominations. Mm-hmm. Big, big nominations. Yeah. Major big categories. deal. Um, yeah. It, it's got four Emmy nominations, which we'll know by the end of next week after this airs uh if it's one um but yeah outstanding casting with Susie Ferris who is on this panel mm-hmm. um outstanding writing by Mickey Leeper who is also so fucking funny in the show yes um he's incredible uh outstanding supporting actor by James Morrison obviously brilliant and I mean we all know how I feel about when people play themselves it's, on shows it's literally my favorite thing it's really winning and then outstanding comedy series, like wild, 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 wild. Good for them. Yeah, so good. And then, just as important as Emmy nominations, yeah, clearly, <laughs> it made four out of six of our staff top ten. Mm-hmm. I will say it was not on mine. Yeah, what's that about? You know, <laughs> I don't know. Now I'm rethinking it all. Top tens are hard. They, they are. are hard and there's a lot of weighing of things. And I think as much as I loved jury duty, I think I probably watched it too fast. Hmm. And you even talking about you rewatching it. I was like, I probably should have rewatched some of these things that I put on my top 10, but I just like, there's so much TV that I loved and I, it could have easily been on the top 10. Yeah. I mean, we had it covered. Variety is good. You know, you yeah. want variety on these yes. lists. Exactly. If we all had the same top 10, how boring would that be? Yeah. Who else was it not on their list? Uh, I think Laura. Laura and I can be on the island. Laura, Laura's got a lot of um, <laughs> Laura's got British a, stuff. That she's has got to a lot of weird list, ones. So. Not uh, weird ones, just out there, different she, than the rest. She's got international taste, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it definitely like dominated our year in list, and it made our members top ten list as yes. well. Um, so yeah, definitely a hit within the ATX TV universe. Oh. It's a fun time. Fun time. Um, enjoy. This is Jury Duty, moderated by Jim Halterman, one of our favorite people. And uh, I think you're going to get a kick out of this. And if you haven't seen the show, it's definitely going to make you be like, what are they talking about? And you're going to go watch it. I love this show so much. I think I'm not the only one, right? Jury Duty? Yeah. I'm Jim Halterman from TV Guide Magazine, and when you Google word of mouth hits, it officially now is jury duty. Um, it, it premiered on April 7th, and in just less than two months, we all have watched it. We all love it. I'm watching it again when I get home. Um, so we've got some people here to talk about it, so let's bring them out. Executive producer, David Bernard. Hey. You sit right next to me. And also executive producer, Nick Hatton. As our hero, Ronald Gladden. Come on. (laughs) And you guys, genies here, Edie Modica. (laughs) 
And this show had a casting director, and she's amazing, Susie Ferris. And uh, director and executive producer, Jake Zamansky. Where to start? Oh my God. Um, obviously, let's just start at the beginning. Can you guys talk about just creating the show and figuring out this concept and then how to pull it off so beautifully? Yeah. Um, thank first. This is amazing to see everyone here. Thank you so much for the love. Uh, yeah, I uh, I had worked with Eric Andre on a movie called Bad Trip and Jeff Tremaine, the Jackass guys, and uh, and I you know I love Sasha Baron Cohen. I love Nathan Fielder. Uh, very inspired by all of their work, and uh, in making that movie, I kind of fell in love with the genre. And I think you know, in kind of what I discovered making that movie was. Uh, just the kind of the, the joy and kind of highlighting humanity. If you've seen the movie, you know, those, the, those pranks or the tone of that movie is much more positive and kind of highlighting people. And uh, we would call them help me pranks, like help me, help me, help me. And kind of getting people involved in kind of um, an incident. And, and simultaneously, I'd watched this documentary on Netflix called The Push, which is an incredible Darren Brown documentary. And became inspired by this idea of creating a hero's journey and kind of, can you, can you, can you create a situation where someone becomes the hero of their story? Um, and there's a, one of the exec producers, Todd Schulman, who's a brilliant producer who worked with Sasha. Um, he was an old friend. He had helped me on bad trip. And I went to him and I said, can we do basically, you know, a sitcom that's hitting camera that kind of has this hero's journey. Um, and then, uh, we brought in Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stubnitsky who had, uh, you know, wrote and produced the office. Um, and from there we went and, and pitched the show and I have to, you know, give an immense amount of credit to Lauren Anderson and Freebie who, uh, you know, when you're pitching a show, it's, it can be a very, uh, belabored process. There's a lot of questioning, but I think I had maybe a five or 10 minute conversation with Lauren Anderson. She's like, we're in, and they were in, and, you know, full stop aggressive. So the show would not exist without Lauren and, and Freebie and they they've been amazing. Um, <laughs> And, and, you know, and then, you know, we built this incredible team, Nick Haddon, who's brilliant and worked with Sasha and Todd on uh, Borat and who's America, Cody Heller, who's not here. Um, uh, Andrew Weinberg, Jake Zemanski and I had worked together probably three or four times uh, before. And, and, um, and Alexis San Pietro, who worked with Todd and, and uh, Nick on some of the Sasha stuff is amazing and deserves a lot of credit. And, and yeah, that's kind of how we, how we got here. So, so one to plan all this is one thing, but then once you start executing it and you start seeing how things were playing out, um, do people still watch dailies or as you're watching the monitor, but when did you guys realize, Oh my God, this is working. Like we've got something here. The first day, honestly, the sort of magic of the, the insane thing about this is we can entirely controlled Ronald's life and his world for, for three weeks. Truly, the moment he arrived into our care to when everything was revealed to him, we had to control every single moment essentially of his existence, which is insane. Uh, but on that first day, we had, you know, we had 150 background artists to give the courtroom real life. Uh, to be part of the potential juror pool and seeing like Ronald go into that waiting room. And I think is the, probably the, uh, the racist joke was the one who's like, oh, this can work. 
this actually might work. We can write insane things and then maybe they can actually happen. And once there, from there you realize this might be something really special. And when we, when we physically went into production, I was in Sicily uh, doing the White Lotus. And so and I had a live feed there and I would be at dinner and I'd be watching the live feed with the cast or other producers. And they're like, what are you, what are you doing? And I'm like, Oh, explain the show. And people were so riveted by just the live feed of what was happening. <laughs> and for me, they're sitting in it, they, you know, that went on for, you know, two, two and a half weeks. And to me, I was like, Oh, the show, cause people, when you pitch in the concept, they were immediately like, wow, their minds are kind of blown, but just even watching the live feed, it's kind of, it's like live theater. I think it was, yeah. And obviously Ronald's there you are. The best. So, yeah. Jake, how many cameras did you actually have? Did you set it up kind of like a Big Brother thing, where there's cameras everywhere, or because you had the documentary, I guess facade in a way? Um, we had to stop counting on day two. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, we had. I mean, different setups had different cameras. So sometimes Ronald knew that he was being followed by a documentary crew, and we kind of had a traditional three camera setup. And other times mixed with that, there were also cameras that couldn't be seen or security cameras in the building that were actually our higher quality remote control cameras that we could zoom in with and see things. So, um, I mean, on the trickier setups, I think, I think we had 20 cameras in some scenes that were small hidden cameras when we couldn't be seen. We had to plant a lot of small cameras everywhere because we were also trying to still have some sense of blocking and shooting it correctly so we could edit it into the show even though we couldn't control exactly what was going to happen. Okay. I love it. Um, Susie, talk about casting the show. What were the parameters you were given? Like the type of people they wanted or what? None. None? No parameters. <laughs> well, um, initially, and I had worked with Dave Burnett before, so Dave called me and said, I have a show that I want to talk to you about, and it's a comedy, which is my favorite thing. And he said, the great news is that you get to cast a group of people that, you know, unknowns, which is music to my ears as a casting director's dream. So then I said, why don't you send me the script, and then we'll talk about it. And he said, well, we don't have a script. Let's just all get on a phone call. So we got on a phone call. They pitched it to me. It sounded like a lot of fun. And then when I started, I said, so what are you looking for? And they were like, well, we need jurors. And that was basically like, it was like a blank canvas. And we just started looking for fun people who were inventive and real feeling and super talented and and could feel real, but could also just um, could could just think on their feet, basically. And I, I should say, Susie is brilliant, and the casting of this is an incredibly difficult process. And we did the show Superstore together, and and she, you know, that show ran for six seasons, a big part because of Susie and the cast. We found Susie and I and Jake did a, a thing for HBO called um, Tour de Pharmacy, which we actually. Do we, no, we didn't premiere that here, but Tour de Pharmacy. And, and so getting to work with her on this was, uh, was you know, a big part of the success of the show is because of Susie. So she deserves an immense amount of credit. Yes, Aww, yes. Thank you, Dave. Well, and so, how, so was James Marsden just hanging around and decided, or did you need somebody who was famous in the cast? Like, how did he yeah. come into this? We had originally written, um, part of the idea of the celebrity was to kind of ground it. And we thought it would kind of create a bigger reality. We also love this idea. And Ron and I talked about this last night, this idea of, you know, you meet the celebrity who you're like really impressed by. And by the end of the journey, you're like, this guy is so fucking annoying. Get him away from me. <laughs> 
And so that was like the arc that we were trying for. And, and James, I, I had worked with James three times prior. Uh, he was in Tour de Pharmacy, which we did uh, for HBO. And uh, we did a movie called The D Train with Jack Black uh, years ago. I thank you very much. <laughs> the one person who saw that movie, thank you. Um, and he's brilliant at comedy. And I think he's a very under-recognized uh, comedian. And we had simultaneously, well, when the show got greenlit, we had been working on another comedy idea. And it, it weirdly, uh, he was at my birthday and we were, I was talking to someone about the show and he like was like, what's that? And I kind of mentioned it to him. And then again, like Lauren, like Susie, like Jake, like everyone who got involved, he was immediately in and he was like, I love the sound of that. And I think he'd also wanted to kind of, he loves improv. I wish he was here with us. I, he loves improv. He, yeah. And he's, and he's a incredibly wonderful human being to work with. And so it was all like for us, perfect. And for him, he just kind of, you know, jumped at the opportunity to do it. I, I will say James, like everyone in our cast, like Edie, people kind of have to be up for what kind of crazy we were, we were doing. Like we knew there was kind of no safety net. We knew we might not make it. And we knew it was like a really tricky acting challenge to be on all the time, never break. Cause we don't get a take two and uh, finding a group of actors that are not only talented enough to do it, but down for that where that doesn't scare them. And James, I include in that, that's what excited him and excited a lot of our cast, which was fun to put that group of people together as well. Okay, I love it. We're actually going to watch a clip with Mr. Marsden. We can roll the clip and then we'll talk a little bit about it. So, so Ronald, I mean, that's, that's also genuine. So I'm not going to ask you if you really didn't know at first that it was James, but what did you really know it was James? <laughs> I mean, I, it took me a little bit to recognize him, but like, obviously I, I'm a huge fan, you know, I've seen tons of his movies. Um, but yeah, I, I realized it was James. <laughs> What, what was getting to know him like? Because I, one of the, I think, beautiful things about the show is you see like a genuine friendship develop, even when you're running lines with him or all the other situations. But can you just talk about that and getting to know him? Yeah. So kind of like what David was saying, the whole point was to essentially befriend this person only to have them, you know, kind of break my heart towards the end of it. And that is exactly what happened. You know, like it was, it was a roller coaster of emotions along the way, getting to know the guy, you know, I was very excited to meet him. Then once I saw who he was, well, obviously portraying himself to be, but once I thought who he was, it was just an up and down constantly of like, I was so excited to meet him. And then I was like, oh, this guy kind of sucks, but then he wouldn't be so bad the next day. So it was literally just an up and down all the way until the very end when I truly believed, like when he flipped the cake at the end, I was like, wow, this guy really does just suck. You know, like it, it broke my heart. <laughs> and I just said, James called me after that day when I was in Sicily and he was so, cause he really loved Ronald and was like, had this strong idea. And he felt so bad about that scene. And I had to like, it's okay. It's going to be okay. But he felt so bad about flipping the cake. Yeah. Edie, tell, tell us what your experience was um, with, uh, with everything, because you knew, you knew the ruse, you knew everything. Um, yes, I knew. Exactly. <laughs> How hard was it for you to not break or to not want to talk about, I mean, maybe you did talk about it with the other cast, but can you just talk about your experience there? I mean, I feel like I was breaking the entire time. <laughs> and I felt like I was kind of allowed to laugh when things were funny. And that kind of, I mean, I got to be friends with Ronald, like sort of as myself through it, which helped with the reality as well. But we got to like have a good time together. And I think if it was like totally boring, the experience for you, then you may have been like, I don't know, we had fun. 
So that was like, all right, we're having a good time at least at this jury duty thing. Like, yeah. And, and I, I know you guys had different scenarios kind of set up depending on what Ronald, I guess, would react to. How many would you have? Because in some ways you're like, okay, he could either, would it just be one or the other? Or did you have multiple things? To be honest, for the most part with Ronald, it, it, it was plan A pretty much all the time and all the way through. Um, he really, it was like he had read the script, honestly, in advance. <laughs> it was like he was some sort of an elaborate plant. Uh, but very rarely did we have to truly pivot and do something something else. He just, we laid out a series of crumbs and clues and he found them every single time. And it was just this incredible experience as you're behind the monitor, like, sort of terrified every single moment that something's going to go wrong and he would just frankly deliver and and also not just like taking us through these story points the way the grace with which he carried himself the love with which, that he emitted that and that everyone received from him um it just made it such a wonderful journey to see him go from from point to point because because yeah. the, the initial idea of the show was it was about a hero's journey and we always knew what the end point was which was 12 angry men and the idea was can you create the show where our, our real hero will at the end stand up for stand up for a stranger and in essence save their life? And it was incredible that when Ronald went in and it's all genuine, came in and literally fought to turn that jury to save this innocent person. It was like that's that was the heart of the show and that was the intention of the show. Yeah, we had a lot of our actors ready to like pull Ronald aside and say, Hey man, I really think you should talk to the group and hey, I really think you should give your opinion on this. And Ronald did not need it. He walked in and said, Okay, guys, sit down. I want to talk about something. And it's like, okay, get make sure the cameras are rolling. Here we go. Yeah. I, I want to go back to the audition process a little bit. Edie, talk about your audition for this show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, well, I received it in an email. Um, and I feel like it was, I was very excited by it because it was just a paragraph. There was no script. It was just like, you're a juror who doesn't want to be on the jury and you like the hotel. That's it. <laughs> and I feel like so often I am auditioning in self-tape style and I'm not getting things. So I was like, I'm just going to have fun. Like, I'm going to do whatever I want for this. I'm going to put my titties on. I'm going <laughs> to like make this for me. And when I got the callback, I was like, they must be smart because I was having a good time. <laughs> and that's what it should be. So, yeah. For those that don't know, Edie has a rubber breastplate right of, yes of, of which she thought was real that, that yes. she wore in her audition as if i wish her, it was real man as if her triple d rubber breasts were popping out of her hoodie yes and i was trying to catch up <laughs> on watching auditions at a preschool open house <laughs> and i couldn't finish it but we had a good idea that she had the part <laughs> i just i just have to say that in auditioning for the jurors we watched over a thousand tapes so, so when an actor thinks, you know, how do I get a part? You really have to make strong choices. And this choice was a really bold and amazing choice. Yeah. I feel like I did it. Cause I was like at the end of my, or I was like, I'm never getting anything. Like, I'm just going to do this stupid thing. And then, yeah, it really worked out. <laughs> Don't do that going forward. <laughs> no, I'm going to be wearing them every time. <laughs> Um, we're we're going to watch another clip here that um, then I'm going to ask you about it, Edie, because it's, it's, it's fun. So, Edie, I'm going to ask you first, because you're the first one to be kind of like, do it. You know, he's got to arm wrestle him. What were those moments like when you knew, like, it kind of getting Ronald to do what you guys needed him yeah. to do? 
I feel like that one in particular was so ridiculous. It was like, okay, he's going to arm wrestle James Marsden. He's going to beat James Marsden in arm wrestling. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I feel like it was nerve wracking. It was like, how do we make this natural too? Like why? And you were like, Lonnie, you should do it. Obviously. Like, I don't know. It felt like, but everyone was so good at piling on and like being like, we're just having fun. It's funny. Like go. So I don't know. It was nerve wracking. And, and this isn't a slide on Ronald, but James Marsden should get an Emmy for that performance. of losing the arm wrestling. He sold it. Ronald um, is strong also. Yes, that's why it's not slight. But Ron, Ronald, what was going through your head in that moment? Because one, I, you didn't really want to do that, because, but they, of course you did. I didn't want to do a majority of the things I had to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, like Edie said, I was literally trying to get anybody else to do it. I kept saying, Lonnie, you're right there. You should definitely do it. Um, but at, at the time, I was, I was literally just trying to defer to anybody else. Mm-hmm. And, and after you guys start seeing things play out the first couple couple days, when you start throwing things in like chair pants and even this arm wrestling thing, did you ever worry about going too far or were you kind of like, we, we can't go too far? Yes. So Todd Shulman uh, coined a term called the reality bank, which is a really good term for understanding stuff like this, which is when you're uh, essentially doing pranks on people or you know, this sort of thing, um, you have to maintain a certain sense of reality. Otherwise, someone will know that something is up. And so every day, what we would do is we'd make deposits into the reality bank. And what deposits are, are just it, sheer boredom. Yeah, that's why when he came into court, you know, the guys sat in court for, for six hours a day, and it was not all fun. Most of it was incredibly boring, mind-numbing stuff. But that lulls you into a sense of reality. And those were deposits into the reality bank. And then we would do something like chair pants, or we would do something like Jorf and Margaritaville. <laughs> and those, you were then withdrawing from the reality bank in those moments. And the theory being, you'd always keep at a certain level, and then you'd sort of be fine. And Ronald has a very good anecdote about, he noticed that uh, Officer, uh, Officer Nikki, uh, which is Sheeds, um, her nails were done very nicely. Most people in law enforcement don't have very nicely done nails. And Ronald spotted this because he was aware of that. But rather than really sort of picking at that thing and thinking that's a very strange and unusual thing, that can lead to other questions in your mind. Like, wait, why is that slightly wrong? And why is that slightly off? And after you've been in a situation for a week, two weeks, three weeks, you'd rather just let it all slide than start thinking that the entire fabric of your reality is being unraveled. <laughs> And that's kind of the, the, the psychological like sandbox that, that, that Ronald lived in for that time. And that arm wrestling, that scene was really important in terms of that was always scripted. And we knew we were going to build to that because the idea was to kind of give Ronald these wins throughout to kind of hopefully give him the confidence to then stand up and fight for this, you know, the defendant's freedom. And so, you know, him becoming the foreman, him kind of winning the arm wrestling match. Like those were all, again, trying to kind of inspire him and kind of give him positive reinforcement as we went along. So we always knew we were building to that, but there was definitely moments like the um, sequestering. There's big turns, you know, obviously when... Sequestration is terrible, terrifying, because imagine someone telling you your, your phone's going to get taken away with no notice for three weeks. Everyone in this room would lose their minds immediately. And we had, that was, actually that was the most terrifying moment, I think, uh, yes. being in the control room was telling him that you are not going to have any contact where well, you're going to have only monitored contact with the outside world for the next period of time. You don't even know how long it's going to be. And 
to your credit, and I almost wet myself with relief. Uh, the moment Nikki said, yeah, take your phones out, please, uh, you did it straight away, and you started down writing down the names. I was like, oh my God, he's not pushing back in any way, shape, or form. Because you'd spoken to your, uh, to your girlfriend the night before, and you'd talked about sequestration, and so you're, you're prepared for it. God and and we, we had prepped our cast... We said, remember, guys, you know the phones are getting taken away. This is new to Ronald. It's going to be crazy. You all have to act like this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And then we try to take the phones away. Ronald's like, cool, here you go. Yeah. And all, all of our cast is going through their beats of like, what? What are you talking about? And I'm like immediately like, pull back, pull back. He's fine with it. Don't make it big. Don't call attention to this. Like, well. Was it, was it, were there any situations you didn't get to use that now you're kind of maybe holding for if there's a season two? Oh, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, no. But I would say one thing actually in, in terms of pivoting, the chair pants, that was meant to go on for a while. There, were, there was a whole storyline with chair pants and what was meant to happen was uh, essentially he was going to go, um, the judge was going to uh, be lenient with Todd and was going to let him uh, essentially sit in the chair pants in the jury box. They were going to get a mechanic to come in, essentially unscrew his chair so then he could sit in it and then it wouldn't be comfortable enough. And the next day he would come back with a better set of chair pants and he worked in his workshop somehow in sequestration. Uh, and it was going to keep going on and on and on. But then on, when Ronald first saw the chair, chair pants, he, uh, you made a comment about it being reality TV. And that was one of those things where you immediately pull back and go like, oh, okay, we maybe pushed that one a little bit too far. Okay. <laughs> one thing I also loved, not just the relationship that Ronald was forming with anybody, everybody, but there were other relationships being formed, some romantic relationships or <laughs> at least good times. So um, we have a clip to maybe show a little bit of that. <laughs> Edie, Edie. I feel, I feel like the, when you get the quick cut of your face that that was like the most genuine just you laughing at this whole yeah. thing. Was it? That was like the craziest moment of my life. Like, <laughs> we were, I was in, my, that's in my hotel room. Like, it smells like Parmesan cheese because I have a salad open. Like, and James Marsden was in, we were just in there, me, Mecky, and James Marsden. Like, there were no other directors and we had like a little camera. I was like, what led me in my life to be in this room and then that was like a last minute thing that they were like we should like try to get some footage of you guys actually doing it so and we had like five minutes because then Mecky had to go back up to Ronald to be asked advice. It was all in real time. It was, it was all in real time, and he's waiting upstairs. So we were like, let's just do it quick, do it quick. And like, Mecky's nervous. Like, <laughs> it was just so, like, it was just insane to be like, you, ju James, like, get on the bed. And then we did other stuff where he was on the floor pushing the bed. <laughs> like, it was so. And then it was over in like five seconds. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> So that takes away my question about rehearsal or anything like that. No, it was that, like... <laughs> that was one of the few times Ronald wasn't present, um, but mm -hmm. obviously he knew this was happening. And That was a big question. It was like, should we even film that? And I, I think Cody, the, our showrunner, Cody Heller, looked at me and was like, we should just get that, right? And I was yeah. like, I think we should get it. I think it's going to be funny, yeah. I feel like it helped with the reality of it for us, too. Like, something really did... We really did something <laughs> that day. <laughs> So let, let's just talk about the reception of the show. Um, April 7th comes around. You guys, I'm guessing, 
don't exactly know how people are going to react because you never do as much as you might think and test groups and things like that. But what, what was going on on April 7th? Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, I think as when you're creating any piece of art or anything, you never can anticipate the reaction and people are going to respond. And I think we, we all knew it was good. We all were very proud of it. We did a cast and crew screening right before the launch of the show. And I remember sitting in the theater with, you know, first time I'd watched it, we did some small test screenings, but first time I'd really watch it with a full theater people and people were laughing. We, we, I think we showed three episodes from beginning to end. So, you know, it's good. You just can't, you still know what people are going to, you know, grab onto. And I remember the, the, we were talking about this last night, the show comes out the first weekend and you know, there wasn't, it wasn't, you know, there was a wave of, of reaction and you kind of can, you know, as a producer, you know, you can tell when people are texting you or like the, you know, the incoming, incoming messages. But by that second week, it just went crazy. And, uh, and it all really started, I think, organically on TikTok. I have to give, um, immense amount of credit to the freebie marketing team, social media, um, publicity. We had so many phone calls, so many Zooms every day talking about, okay, maybe, Let's, you know, release this clip strategy. How do we position the show? And, and their team, uh, was, you know, the energy behind the show and the belief in the show was 1000%. And the amount of people who put, dedicate a lot of their weekends and days to the show was incredible. And so it really is a testament to their work and effort and kind of belief, again, belief in the show, which is, again, is very rare to find, uh, nowadays. So, yeah. And, and, but, you know, obviously like, um, a lot of people worked very hard on this show and spent an immense amount of the, the last two years working on this. So it's incredibly rewarding. And it's like, you know, it's to see everyone here and the, the reaction is, it means, you know, it means it's hard to put into words. It's incredible. It, it felt like an old fashioned sort of word of mouth thing, which was truly people telling people. And my, I, my, my pet theory on this is that I think for this kind of show, when you're dealing with real people, um, it, some of the brilliant geniuses who've pioneered this in the past, like Sasha Baron Cohen, I worked with for a long time, Nathan Fielder, especially with Sasha's stuff. I think some people can't even, uh, aren't even able to actually sort of sit down and engage with the material because it is, it's provocative. Uh, it's, you know, he's a satirist. His, his, his whole point is highlighting uh, bigotry and ignorance and, and, and tackling that. And so when you're watching those kind of uh, shows, you know that the person sitting opposite them is kind of unwittingly, like essentially walking headfirst into a wood chipper. And that's an uncomfortable experience for a lot of people who are watching it. There's that kind of cringe factor, I think. And with this show, I think we sort of removed that barrier to entry. I think immediately as an audience, uh, for the viewers, they realized the intention that we set out, how we set out to make this thing. And we wanted this guy to have an incredible experience that at the end, maybe in success, he could talk about and be very proud of and be very happy. And I think people felt that immediately. They were able to experience a kind of show that they hadn't seen before, weren't able to, to watch before, and then told people about it. And then those people told other people about it and it just caught on in that, in that kind of way. And I think, the, you know, the thing I hope people take away from the show is this idea of saying yes to life. And I think Ronald and I uh, were talking about this too. It's, it's, you know, Ronald had just been laid off, right? When, when he saw this Craigslist ad and he wanted an adventure and he told us that when we, had, when we first met him and he wanted an experience and he said yes to this unknown experience. And I think constantly was saying yes to life and saying yes to the experience. And I think, I think, or especially the last, we, we started working on the show 2019, 2020. It was such a, and really 
the hardcore development was in 2020 when COVID had started. And I think the idea was to create something that was big hearted, hard, funny, but had a positive message. And the, I think this idea of connection, and I think that's, you know, if any take away anything, I think Ronald being his authentic self has led to such amazing things. It's really incredible to see the people embrace him and embrace the show and all the incredible things that have come to him now by just saying yes to life and saying yes to connecting with people and connecting to strangers, really. Yeah. Ronald, can you put into words what this experience has been for you um, the last two months? Surreal is the only word I can use. Like my, my whole life has changed overnight, essentially. So it's really hard to describe. I still fully haven't even grasp the fact like I can't even it's so weird using this word but I'm famous now like it's I can't even I can't that's a concept that I still can't wrap my head around so I, I still haven't even fully comprehended all of it to be honest with you where, where are your Instagram followers what's the number what was the number before this show and what's the number now <laughs> just to put you on the spot well <laughs> well I never really had a social media presence before this because I, I mean I've been too busy living life essentially and like I'm not big on social media I actually attribute that to my kind of higher quality of life is not being constantly on social media I feel like it's it's a drain and I feel like it's almost a trap for a majority of people so before this I had 300 350 followers like that was it like I you know I wasn't following a lot of people because I wasn't very active and now I'm at 200,000 plus you know it's <laughs> insane and and who I know you've been meeting people you've been posting pictures even at this festival I love that you were part of the cheers event last night that was so fun but who, who, who have been some of the kind of some of the people have just knocked your socks off who you who you've met through this Oh man, there's so many of them. So like I got to meet Ted Danson last night, which was an absolute dream come true. Um, the UFC fighter, Sugar Sean O'Malley reached out to me. I got to meet Ben Schwartz, Ryan Reynolds, Maxine the Fluffy Corgi, like <laughs> you name it. Corgi life. Um, so knowing what you know now, is there a world where you'd go through an experience like this again? Like keep saying yes and... I know it'd be hard to like probably fool you now, but you know, in, in hindsight, is it something you're okay? Well, yeah, to, to piggyback on what David was saying, like I have essentially, so I was talking to somebody in the improv world and they told me that like the whole point of improv is, is yes. And because as soon as you say no to something, you essentially kill the scene. And the way I've been living my life these past few years is with a yes. And mentality, because I've been opening myself up to new experiences, obviously change is an inevitable part of life. So I've been just embracing all these different opportunities. So I'm absolutely open to continue living my life like that. I mean, I wouldn't be here right now if I wouldn't have done this. Beautiful. Um, we're going to get to audience questions here in a second, but first, um, somebody brought up Jorf, so we need to watch a Jorf clip and talk about Jorf a little bit. Who thought of Jorf? <laughs> that was, uh, actually, I don't want to, I'll credit to our entire team of writers. I can't remember exactly who it was, but uh, I know there was a lot of debate as to the exact spelling of this made-up word, essentially. But, but the idea there was that we needed something, we needed Ronald to kind of, we knew that the table was going to be booked and we needed Ronald, we wanted to put Ronald Stritch where he had to go save the day. So we had him to have him go and, and solve the problem again as a way of like building up his, his confidence. And I don't, yeah, I don't know where. I can't, yeah, I I can't remember exactly how he, uh, how he settled on it, but it also, it's a fun example of like the, the fun you can have in this format, which is, you know, you can create a fake reality and you can create a word that has no meaning whatsoever and you can implant it into this world 
and it now is imbued with terrible meaning. Uh, and so for, for Jorf, we knew that it had uh, no connotations whatsoever. But when we, in the writer's room, so uh, you know, two or three months before we even started shooting this thing, we're like, we have to put this on the Urban Dictionary right now. So we have to plant it. And uh, so that what, in, in the eventuality that let's say Ronald is there and he says, hold on, show me the phone, I don't believe you, or something like that. We had to be prepared for that. So we seeded it such that if you Google Jorf, you go to Urban Dictionary, it says, I think it's like the worst of all slurs uh, combined. Uh, and that's the kind of fun you can have. Cinnamon and Sparrow, the fake company, you know, we created a website for it. We created a clothing line, all that kind of stuff. What you see on and the And it show is live is right now, yeah. selling mango bells for $49.95. <laughs> but yeah, what you see is the, is the tip of the iceberg. And under th underneath is the reality that we've built to essentially support just the very top part of it. And that's a good example of it. Who, who Googled Jorf while they were watching this? No, I did, yeah, I did. I did. And did you find the Urban Dictionary listing for it? You did. Great. Perfect. <laughs> um, we want to do some audience questions. I guess you guys have some questions. Um, I don't see a mic, so I guess we're just going to be at our seats. Um, sir, go ahead. Just stand up and tell us your name. Yeah, so we had essentially seven script outline kind of things because, you know, it's not quite as prescriptive as, as, as a, a fully written sort of, you know, 30 minute thing, but it was essentially an outline um, which, you know, laid out the storylines, the character developments. And there might be some key dialogue, like something you really, really desperately want to hear. So, for example, Tim, uh, uh, RIP, um, he, uh, when he says, I'm going to go rub one out, for example, that was a very specific line that needs to be triggered. Uh, but the first part is, is, is these somewhat dense outlines is what we ended up shooting with. But, you know, the, the oftentimes when you're going to break a show, you don't know where, that's the hard thing is where do we, where, what's the arc, where are we taking this? And we knew what the arc was, which was 12 Angry Men. And so it was really how do you build to that and make it feel authentic? We always knew, you know, again, the, the other inspiration for the show was this idea of doing a sitcom. So we knew we wanted to do sitcom stories. For example, the love triangle that's going on, the will they, won't they between, you know, Edie, Noah, Meki, um, and like, you know, simple stories like the lunch order episode, the self-tape, going to the scene of the crime, Margaritaville. And so we kind of had these templates. We knew we had these things that we were hanging each episode on. And then it was really about building in set pieces and, and kind of, you know, the, yeah, like, like uh, Nick was saying, like the inner, just the, some of the great jokes in the room. Edie, did you have a favorite line that you got to say in the show? Me? Yeah. Can I say it? I, th I think you can. It has the C, a C word in it. <laughs> That means spunk. <laughs> I couldn't believe that was on TV. That's what I'll okay, say. All right. And I was very excited. I was like, I think I'm one of the first ladies who got to say that on TV. See? I like I liked that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Who else has a question? I see one way in the back. We've got a mic right now, so he's going to bring a mic to you. <laughs> Oh, so is Joe, Kirk Fox, yeah. So there's a process where when we're yeah, attempting to find our hero, um, and Alexis Sampietro is one of our producers who's sort of, she's the best in the world of this. Um, there's a kind of part of the screening process is to ask questions like, hey, do you like comedy? Do you like this kind of thing? Do you like that kind of thing? Have you watched this show? Have you watched that show? And in that period, so you can kind of like flag things to a degree. And if they're like, no, I'm a huge, gigantic fan 
of this or that, and you know that that actor's in your show, then that person isn't going to go through. So that's how, although you did actually know who he was, but you kind of, your brain blocked it out, essentially. Yeah, so I will say to piggyback on that, during my interview process, Alexis asked me very specific questions as kind of a way to just get to know who I was. And so like Mecky's show, Sex Life for College Girls, had just recently come out on HBO Max. So she specifically asked me, you know, do you have Netflix? Do you have Hulu? Do you have HBO Max? And so when I said, no, I don't have HBO Max, you know, they kind of crossed that one off the list. Parks and Rec never really came up and I'm really glad I didn't mention it because I never would have been cast but yes like if they if you guys wouldn't have kept Kirk away from me if you wouldn't have had him grow out his beard wear clothing that was too small like it would have only been a matter of time before I would have recognized him yeah. I'll say he was probably the only one I recognized uh, the whole cast because um, yes. I was like that's Kirk Fox speaks to Susie Ferris's work yeah. Susie oops, yeah. oops. No, no it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a positive it's, it's a good it's like thing yeah, positive. yeah no, and, and to Susie's credit she was like don't overestimate like what this is going to feel like when they're in the room and watching people on TV is different than meeting people in yeah. real life I, I remember we had the conversation about Kirk and uh, and it all worked out so okay another question um, let's go right in the center. Let's wait for the mic this time so we can get that. What's your name? Hi, I'm Megan. Uh, I was wondering, we see a lot of filming uh, with the cast, aside from Ronald, where y'all are still in character. Can you talk about like what went into having like having those scenes taped out and like why it was important to have those even when you're not in like kind of prank mode? So that was something that was hotly debated and I, I mean i'll just speak for myself i had a really strong opinion that the show should work without the premise you know it's a high concept show and to me building out getting the, the you know having the audience um invested in each character's story was really important so that you're the hope was that as you're watching it you could watch the show it's funny someone said to me they didn't realize it was they didn't realize our ronald wasn't an actor until the very end. So they, the reveal, they, it, the show revealed themselves to, to my friend as it revealed itself to Ronald and kind of blew her mind. And I think that was the hope was that the show would just feel like a sitcom. It just so happens that one person is real and not an actor. And so that's why we did those talking heads and we kind of had other characters telling stories when Ronald wasn't present. It was a you know very specific choice. And truthfully, it really helps with the storytelling as well in terms of stitching stuff together. So, you know, Ronald, as I said, was incredible and gave us pretty much every single beat we hoped for. But you still need to, you know, to flow from story point to story point. So those talking heads are really, really useful in that way, as well as getting to fall in love with the characters and tell some jokes. Mm -hmm. Question. Uh, let's do over here. What's your name? Hi, I'm Ivy. Um, I love these kinds of formats. Um, I would love to make them one day, but I can't get my mind around the ethical considerations. Like what kind of ethical kind of questions did you did, problems did you anticipate and plans did you put in place in place to take care of Ronald? And then did you end up having to use any of them? So it's a very good question, and it's a very important question. And you know, with with Freeview with Lauren, we worked very, very diligently in creating actually a series of of, of documents, essentially duty of care documents, where we really laid out uh, a day in the life of Ronald when he's under our care, because he was under our care. We were responsible for his well-being the moment he sat down with us, and that's an incredibly important responsibility. So we really, really laid out over pages and pages what was going to happen how, how, when he woke up in the morning, who's the first person he's going to see, what access does he have to the outside world, is he able to speak to loved ones when he wants to, are they able to contact him when they want to, 
Um, so we spent a huge amount of time because ultimately, we never wanted this to feel like an unpleasant experience for this for him. We never wanted to punch down. He was never going to be the butt of the joke. We wanted him truly to come out of it feeling like the hero of his own story. And so we, so much time was spent collaboratively between everyone, making sure that he he was uh, he was looked after. Yeah, and if you notice, like you know, all the jokes or pranks are very deliberate. He's it's he's never the bunt brunt. But the butt of a joke or the butt of a prank, he's always observing and responding to. He's almost the, the audience surrogate. So that was it. That's the tone of the show. And that was really specific. And we would say when we pitched the show and we talked about it, the goal is for him to be on a stage on a panel. We would say he'd be on Ellen with us talking about the show and that it would be a joyful experience. I, I always think about it in my mind, like I love escape rooms. And to me, it's just like a large escape room that he's kind of in the middle of and he's trying to navigating these little clues and these little these kind of little traps. And at the end, the hope was that he would be the hero of the story. And that was kind of always the the intention from day one. I have to say, when I, w before I watched the show, before I saw the trailer, and I just saw the key art. I thought that's maybe what it was going to be, that it would be like this guy's going to just be candid camera to death. But then I saw the trailer and then I started watching. I was like, the show has so much heart and the intentions are so great. So kudos to all of you. Um, Cause that's, yeah. So we, there was a, a pretty comprehensive uh, psychological support before, during and after. And actually you obviously don't see any of this in the show, but uh, Ronald would have a psychological consultation with, with a therapist actually uh, before the show, during it and after for months afterwards. And Alexis, who again, who, who found Ronald, uh, was in constant contact with him afterwards to make sure that he was settling back into the real world as it were. So yeah, absolutely. That's a very important consideration, something we planned for. And it was part of our consideration in choosing Ronald too. Like you try to get to know someone really well before choosing them and you're trying to pick someone who you think can handle this and who, who you can lead the right way through this and that you're not getting into any danger zones. And we screen for certain things, like if everyone has any particularly strong, you know, any anxiety disorders, anything like that. We want, again, we want someone to enjoy this experience, not for it to be a living hell. So that was part of even finding Ronald in the first place. Very good. Uh, another question? We'll write down here. What's your name? Hi, I'm Sarah. Um, I guess I'm a little confused still how you cast Ronald's like you mentioned a Craigslist ad and then a bunch of interviews and then like it led into jury duty like how did that all fit together without it seeming like something really big was happening. So it's a very good question. So um, we put out originally uh, these ads which said, um, uh, are you jury duty eligible? Um, have you ever served on a jury before? If you had, they did not make it because anyone who's actually served on a jury within about three seconds of walking in and be like, this is a TV show and you're trying to mess with me. <laughs> it's not even a unanimous verdict, by the way, in a trivial trial, complete lie. It's a majority, it's a rubbish. Um, so that was one of the qualifications. Uh, and then off the back of that, we had you know, several thousand submissions. And from there, Alexis and her team would then follow, would basically whittle down, would have these, uh, these Zoom interviews increasing in length, really getting to know Ronald. And then from there, to your point, they had, Ronald had to feel like this was a real thing. 
And so we told them it was a, uh, a documentary style project and we wanted it to make it feel very, very small. Ronald only ever saw about three or four camera operators at one time, a couple of sound folks. Everyone was hidden in the courthouse in these different areas. So he felt like it was a very small kind of janky, frankly, documentary. And <laughs> from there, the other thing which was very important was that he couldn't feel like he was guaranteed to be on the show. So. <laughs> we, there had to be the possibility that he wouldn't make it into the jury pool because otherwise it would feel like, well, how can this, wait, this TV show can't be dictating who actually sits on a jury. That's completely uh, illegal. So uh, there was a possibility that he didn't even make it. So what we did was we had, we hired someone else who would stay at the same hotel at Ronald when he, as Ronald when he flew into town and he would get in the Uber from the hotel to the courthouse on the first day and say, hi, what's your name? My name is Ronald. What's your name? My name is Brian. Brian was an actor that we paid to basically be do the journey with Ronald uh, alongside him, but ultimately was not picked uh, to be on the panel. So they'd been talking about it. They thought they both might be on it. And at the last minute, his name was Brian Decoy. <laughs> one of my more favorite bits. And, you know, he was really excited. They thought they might be hanging out together. This might be this thing, this crazy documentary they're on. And then lo and behold, Brian was dismissed. But Ronald got onto it. So again, it's all these kind of, that, that's how essentially he went from being Craigslist into actually being impaneled. And I will say too, I was prepped from the beginning that like I could go through this entire interview process. They could love me. They could really want me to be on the show. And then ultimately I could not be picked and have to go home. So I was made aware of that essentially from day one. And also too, Edie was one of the people who I would told they, you know, she was part of this. Um, Lonnie Ishmael, um, he was another one that, you know, he had also responded to the same ad, but then everybody else was there off of their own real summons. So I didn't think that everybody there had responded to the ad. So it was like a mixed bag of people. And then it was just who gets chosen and who doesn't. And it's illegal to send out a uh, jury summons uh, when you're not actually uh, like that person. So we couldn't do that. Yeah. And Ronald, have you been called to real jury duty? <laughs> Yeah, and I don't, I, I feel like it's, the timing of it is very, very intentional. It, <laughs> uh, we have time for a few more questions. I'm, gonna, I'm going a few minutes over since we started late. Um, way in the back, sir, I see you. Hi, um, um, you are a national probably watch it and feel like I would be awful on this show. Like I would be so mean and not a good person. So uh, along to the casting question when you found Ronald, that's a real big leap of faith to say we're gonna put someone in these situations and hope that they're a good God. Like what so along with you know uh TV shows and whatever like this was Alexis can say like so was there like a deep psychological like I'll say it's an art, it's not a science, and there's a lot of luck. And, uh, you know, you hire really incredible people who are really world best at what they do. And Alexis is one of those people, and she has an instinct. And uh, she fought for Ronald. She, she really, she, you know, he was number one on, on the list from the very beginning. And uh, a lot of luck. You know, you can think you know some humans surprise you all the time. 
Um, and we just got very, very lucky that he ended up being this wonderful human being that's out here right now. I, I also can I, I would just want to say real quick, Ronald's a great guy. We're so lucky to have found Ronald and he deserves all the praise he's getting. But also, and I think this is important to remember, uh, it'd be, you know, Ronald is just another person. And it's also unfair. Like, I, I'm also worried in the show, like, I don't want you to walk around feeling like you have to be Mother Teresa for the rest of your life. <laughs> like, he's a great guy, but but we are all we are all real people. And and uh, don't feel like you have to have the weight of that on there. What Ronald is great at is um, he very clearly uh, shows a lot of decency to people and he gives people the benefit of the doubt. And that is something we were looking for. And I think as the world can feel like crazy and like divisive, it's important to remember that it doesn't take being Mother Teresa. You don't have to be a perfect person, but it is great to try to show people just some common decency and try to give the benefit of the doubt before closing someone down. And it can go a long way. Edie, I meant to ask, how has this changed for you? I'm guessing you're getting recognized as well. Yes. It's very, it's, I was not expecting it at all. And it's overwhelming to me or like I live in, uh, New York and it's like, it's, it's just happening a lot. And I would, I didn't know. And I work in a restaurant. It's happening in the damn restaurant. Um, yeah, it's just intense. I like, I wanted this for so long and now I'm like, Oh, I didn't know what it was going to be like. Um, more questions? Um, right there. Wait for the mic. He's going to bring it to you. What's your name? Marla. Hi, Marla. Um, Ronald, I just have a question for you. Hopefully it's not too personal. You said you had a girlfriend. And I, I'm married. Not about that. Um, but my question is that we're hearing how you've handled it. But did you have family or friends, a community around you that was surprised by it? Absolutely everybody in my life was surprised by it. <laughs> I, I, I never was the child who had aspirations to be famous or on TV. Um, like it was just never me. Truthfully, in my life, I've actually been the person kind of behind the curtains, pulling the strings, if you will. So to be the face of it all, like it, it, it surprised me and it surprised absolutely everybody. And when I told people what I was going into, I told them exactly what I was told. I'm going to be a part of this documentary. You know, it's going to be informational at best. Um, we ended up getting sequestered. You know, don't expect to hear from me for a little bit. And then I just essentially stuck with that lie. And that's all I told them. So nobody thought this was going to be anything. They thought maybe they might view it when it comes out. And then once it did come out and they realized what it was, it was just just disbelief in general from everyone. <laughs> So, so wait, so you, nobody knew this was coming. That is correct. I was not allowed to talk about this. It's a very severe severe NDA. Uh, Very, very. Obviously you're good at keeping secrets then. You're a vault. Yeah. I sat on this for over a year. Not only did I sit on this, but I literally had to live my life. Like it didn't happen. Like for a year after this, I went back to work. I had to go to work every day, dreading it and just thinking like, Oh, when is the show going to come out? You know? All right, we're going to do one more question. Um, man with the mask there. Let's get the mic to you. Hi, I'm Ariana. Does the popularity of the show kind of kill a potential season two of Jury Duty? Would it have to be in a different setting and a kind of different ruse in a way? 
you stole my last question. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I mean, let me, let me tell you exactly what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you don't know. You never know. But I, I think, uh, you know, we haven't really gotten too deep into it. And um, but you never know. Who knows? Who knows what the world will bring you? Who knows? Um, we're done with questions. One thing I, I can announce is we're taking the word Jorf back, I'm told. <laughs> Jorf now stands for jury. Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, jury of Ronald's friends. There's the shirt. And you guys are all getting one when you walk out today. We're taking Jorf back. Um, to the panelists, you guys, thank you so much. Everybody here, thank you. Keep making noise about jury duty. Let's keep this going. You have been listening to the TV Campfire podcast, hosted by ATX TV co-founders Emily Gibson and Caitlin McFarland, and produced by Jennifer Morgan. This conversation was recorded live at ATX TV Festival Season 12 in Austin, Texas, between June 1st and 4th, 2023. For more information on the festival and becoming an ATX TV member, follow us at ATX Festival or visit atxfestival.com.